You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days of NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. This unit must survive so that man may live. Alan Seiler. Bow down before your robot uprising. <laughs> and Veronica Daschle. Hi. And we're joined today <laughs> by Dr. Cheryl Hayes, the director of the School of Data and Science and Analytics at Kennesaw State University. Welcome to the show. Hello, I didn't know I needed a cool catchphrase. <laughs> That's okay. There's a reason I just say hi. That's right. And, and don't forget, don't forget, we have to say data because we're not talking about the character. Right. right. Well, it also, yeah, it, it also depends on what, what part of the, the country you're from or what part of the world you're from, too. Yeah. So. Right. I, I was going to say to quote Dr. Pulaski, what's the difference? What's the difference? <laughs> One is my name. The other is not. <laughs> right. Well, Dr. Hayes, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, yeah, well, I, it's a real pleasure to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So you, you're currently at Kennesaw State University. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. So, uh, yep. So, so the School of Data Science, or Data Science and uh, Analytics was created about three years ago uh, out of a couple of different units. We had an institute and we had the, what have been the Department of Statistics and uh uh, they were foolish enough to ask me to be in charge of them. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm captaining a weird ship at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight, was, the, the, the idea was, is to talk about the role of AI in Star Trek and in our own society. But before we get into that, what is your history with Star Trek? Oh, wow. Um, so uh, my, my, my favorite little beginning story. So I, I've, I was born in the, in the 70s, um, so missed the original series, but but was young enough uh, and still excited enough when the movies came out. Um, I had a, a, a trash can. Well, the metal, you remember the metal trash cans um, mm-hmm. that uh, had the Star Trek trash can from the first movie in my room. <laughs> and, um, and one day my, uh, my dad who's a golf pro. He calls from the pro shop and, he, and I'm, I'm four or five years old and says, um, because my mom, he's like, you got to go and pick up Cheryl's trash can, read the number to me off, off the ship. And so he's called my dad was a he's big about winning things on the radio. So <laughs> thanks to the thanks to him being able to read the number of the enterprise off of my trash can, we won our first VCR. Wow. And, uh, which which then I got to watch Star Trek on. You know, we record the we record the, uh, the 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 cartoon, um, you know, the animated series. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got into um, you know, high school and the TNG was out. Um, mm-hmm. my, one of my, my, uh, my friends, in fact, one of my friends, Dave day, I hope he's, I hope he's what he's, uh, he's, he's my go-to guy when I have a Star Trek question. Mm-hmm. Um, when it was on reruns, you know, it'd be on from like 11 o'clock at night till one o'clock in the morning on some various channel. I think that's when I watched TNG. Uh, we actually had a, um, uh, a, a faculty member who lived in the dorm with us, who was a huge Trek fan. And we had a, we had a room in the dorm that was called the star chamber where people had drawn, uh, various ships and things on the wall where we got together, uh, and watched Voyager w- w- deep space nine and Voyager when they were still, you know, in, it was a big thing in the dorm. So, uh, it's, it's been a part of my life for a long time. So that's amazing. Uh, those, those early VCRs were expensive. Yes. So that's a really, really great gift or a, a prize that went at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did your love of science fiction and Star Wars and so forth get you into, is your background in IT, is it, was it called IT when you were in college? When I was in college, uh, no. it was just called engineering and computer science. Yeah, no, I, so I, so the, uh, this is the, the reason I'm a, an odd captain of an odd ship. So I'm actually a social scientist by training, hence the Counselor <laughs> Troy Toy in the background, um, <laughs> rather than the Scotty or something like that. Um, but uh, no, so I, I, I came to, um, I came to this field really from, um, part of what we're talking about today um, as a social scientist interested okay. in ethics and, uh, and, and research and, and the application of research. Um, a few years ago, um, I, I started really getting in earnest into some concerns about the way that uh, data was being used. And, and mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as AI has evolved uh, very, very quickly, 
Um, it's um, as somebody who's, who sits back and watches it as a social scientist and a huge fan of science fiction, um, you know, there's all these cautionary tales with, right. with to, from Mar Mary Shelley before, right? Yeah. Um, the, man, the man versus machine thing has been going mm -hmm. on for millennia. Um, so, uh, so that's, that's my interest in, in, in this area in particular. Okay. Yeah. And, and AI is something that we see a lot in Star Trek. Uh, mm -hmm. earlier Star Trek, it was primarily cautionary tales, you know, mm -hmm. evil computers right. running societies, but all the way up through like TNG and the way they use computers uh, and entertainment, a lot of it is sort of the way it seems like our interface with computers is heading. And I see some people saying that this is a great thing. This is a huge advancement for us. And I see other people, like I was watching a, an interview with Jeffrey Hinton today, who was formerly with Google, who said it was yeah. the biggest threat to our society, uh, bigger than global warming. Mm -hmm. And so as a sci-fi fan who grew up with these stories, wow. you hear that and it's like, which episode am I in? You know? <laughs> yes. Well, one question I have to kind of to kind of shape that too is when you when you say AI, what are you thinking mm -hmm. of? Are you thinking just in, of intelligent programs, or are you always thinking of robots and androids and computers that take over whole systems? Because you have there's all types. Just like you know, a robot can be an arm in a car factory. Right. It can it, all of our space probes are technically robots. Um, so when you think of AI, what do you think of what, what 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 magnitude and what type of things are you thinking of? You want me to answer? I, I think yeah, everybody yeah. else can answer. <laughs> yeah, okay. I want you to answer um, that. Oh, so so uh, so I mean, it, this this gets complicated. You ask the academic yeah. the question about defining something. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is really dangerous. How long? How long is your um, as long as it needs to be? As long, well, I, you know, I I I think one of the problems we have is is that artificial intelligence in many cases is really mislabeled. Um, mm -hmm. Some people, some people are really talking about machine learning, which is sort of a you know statistical process. Some people are real are talking about um, are talking about robotics, right? So they, they're actually yeah. thinking about the application of artificial intelligence. So I think one of the reasons it's it's so scary to people is because it is mm -hmm. defined because it can mean so many things. Mm. Um, so right. I, that's that's what that's one of my concerns. So anybody that's like, ah, oh, I'm freaked out by AI, I'm like, just go look it up. Like go mm -hmm. go read something about it, understand a little bit more. Um, well, chat GPT, which I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, at mm -hmm. some point tonight. I mean, it's, it's basically just a large language model. It's a natural language processing model. This kind of thing has existed. Some of you will remember many years ago, um, you remember Dragon Naturally Speaking? Uh, yeah. When, mm -hmm. Yeah, right? So that's, it's, it's basically, that was a baby version of this, right? So right. that was, that was its very, very beginning. It's, it's attempt, it's a, it's uh zeros and ones version of trying to understand <laughs> something that people inherently have in their brains. Right. So, um, right. And, and then there's all these different iterations of that. So there's, because it's not just natural language processing, then there's, you know, massive amounts of, uh, of um, quantitative data. I mean, it all ends up getting broken down at some point into, into bits and bytes, but um, uh, it, it's, it is this kind of amorphous, mysterious term yeah. that gets used and misused um, by people when they need, when they need it. Yeah, because it seems like when people think of AI and in in like what Charles was saying, in a worse sense, they think of a robot, an android, or some computer. Like, there's an awesome movie from the 70s called Colossus, the Forbin Project, mm. that is all about that. Some people think about that, but to your point, chat GPT can be AI, right. or mm -hmm. you can have a, a giant thresher on a farm that has mm -hmm. AI to allow it to, to do the wheat, and it's not going to take over the world. You know, it's kind of like yes. what is the AI designed to do? <laughs> sure. sure. I mean, ultimately, it, it the the thing people need to understand is it's it's it is it will do what it was designed to do, right? It is right. it is it is a program that runs a, a series of operations, mm -hmm. and uh, and and some of those things seem more human like than others. I mean, I remember when when we first started seeing the robot arms building the cars and the factories and, yes. uh, you know, in, in the seventies and the eighties, people, Oh, they're going to, it's going to take our jobs. Well, it did. Mm -hmm. it um, did. Yeah, it, it absolutely did. So I think that kind of reinforces this, mm -hmm. um, I mean, this man versus machine thing, which, which is, you know, when, when we think about the history of science fiction um, and, and the, the entertaining, the entertainment factor, it always has played this kind of cautionary tale role, but it's also kind right. of morality tale. I mean, it goes back in American uh, literary tradition, back to like, you know, Babe and the Big Blue Ox, uh, you know, and, and uh, thinking about how uh, Paul Bunyan had to battle the train. You know, I mean, this, mm -hmm. this, this goes way, way back mm -hmm. in our collective uh, unconscious here um, about, you know, machines being somehow um, 
something that people create, but then, you know, they, they take over and they kind of create their own thing. Um, you know, I, the, uh, <laughs> my, my friend who, who he's, he's like, Oh, you got to watch this, watch this, watch this things. I thought about <laughs> he was like, yeah, the episode, the ultimate computer. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, oh, God, yes. I mean, that's that, that, that was interesting. You know, um, the cautionary tale at its finest, mm-hmm. but what, what's so interesting going back and watching that in the context of what we know about, um, where artificial intelligence is now, the very beginnings of that were really being researched back then. We had places like Bell Labs, um, you know, they, they, they were really thinking about this. And really what they were trying to do was um, create a, a model, a, a mathematical representation of the way that people thought. And so uh, the, 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 clever, the clever writers uh, and directors, um, you know, of, of Star Trek looked at that and went, wow, what a cool story. And their imaginations, you know, exploded this up into this, you know, amazing thing. Uh, we're just catching up to that now, which I mm. think people look at as, you know, wow, I can't believe we're, we're here. But there's a lot of things, and you all talked about this before, there's a lot of technology that we take for granted now that that seems, you know, really futuristic and spacey in, uh, in Star Trek, particularly. Um, and, but we also know that people that designed those technologies were watching those shows and yeah. so they were and they were inspired and they were inspired by it so yeah. you know, there's a part yeah. of you that wonders you know gosh when you hear picard say computer and and people are like "Ooh, can i make can i make a machine do that right because they want to be a card uh well you can do that now you know you just yeah. right. like or siri or whatever it is um same idea Mm. I just want to jump in just for a second and say that for the people who are watching, if you have questions or comments for Dr. Hayes or for any of us on this topic, just drop them in the comments section, wherever you're watching YouTube or Facebook or wherever. Um, I have a one from Michael Phillips who says, I think it's important to consider the difference between artificial intelligence and artificial sentience and their different advocates such as Ray Kurzweil. Right. Yeah, and and an interesting thing, you mentioned the the ultimate computer, which Mm -hmm. part of that episode was playing on the fears that were around in the time and had been going on for a while about mechanization taking people's jobs. And up to that point, even when that episode was made, they were primarily going after blue collar jobs, Mm -hmm. blue collar workers who were losing their job. But in the ultimate computer, you know, Kirk wasn't a blue collar worker. He wasn't a grunt. He was the guy in charge and he was the one being replaced. And that's a lot of the fears that we're seeing now with AI is that it's replacing white collar jobs. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you think about how that's going to play out going forward. And I mean, should people who are in jobs that they feel like could be replaced by AI be <laughs> retraining and planning for the future? Um, I, I'm, I am not a futurist. And, I, I <laughs> and, and anybody that predicts something's going to get wrong most of the time. Right. But, um, I, but that, that anxiety is there. I, I think what we, have to, what we have to recognize is, is that, um, you know, what happened in the industrial age with, you know, the introduction of machinery and, and the, the fears you were talking about in the 1960s, we are living through those times now in the information age, right? So we talk right. about the, inf- the information age sort of starting in the, the nominally in the 80s or the 90s. Well, we're, you know, we're 30, 40 years into that now. And so as these technologies evolve, uh, the same way that, you know, the horse and buggy was replaced by the steam engine, et cetera, you know, that's just part of the progress of technology mm-hmm. um one of the things that some of my colleagues and i have talked about this a lot you know it's it's a it's a problem you know for faculty at the university um anytime now i'm setting an assignment because the the essay was the thing you couldn't cheat on right because you you, you always you, you had to write the essay you know you might be able to sneak on the multiple choice or copy off somebody else's paper for a formula but an essay was always yours right it's not that way anymore so right. now we're, we're thinking yeah. about well how how do we you know, when, when I'm setting a, an essay question, like I'm, I'm teaching a, a conflict management uh, course this summer, culture and, a culture and conflict class. So anything I want somebody to write, now I've got to go into ChatGPT and Bard and all these other, in, and, and enter that in and see what answers it gives me. I got to store those answers. I got to refresh it. I got to do it at least three or four times. Mm. And then when students are turning stuff in, I have to reference it against that. Well, at some point that's not scalable. Um, and, yeah. and it's, and and in, in in actual fact, you know, I remember, uh, and some of you will remember this too. You know, in college when search engines first became a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the librarian, my colleagues who were librarians, uh, were all up in arms. Well, you know, nobody's going to have to go to the library anymore. Well, the library, 
libraries yeah. haven't shut down yet, right? Um, <laughs> libra li libraries repurposed themselves, right? Librarians became, you know, curators, collectors of knowledge. They became people that taught you how to use those resources. And so I, I think it's it, to the long answer to your short question. I, I, do we need to completely reskill ourselves? No, but I think we we have to be aware and stay aware of the changes and be flexible and adaptable. You know, you, mm -hmm. you might, uh, memorizing the entire, uh, Python library is probably not going to be very useful to you if you're a coder now, because you can just go into a system and say, what's the, you know, what's the line of code for blah and it'll spit it out. Mm -hmm. But true. if you don't, but if you don't know whether it's good code or bad code, um, you know, how, how you're just going to put it in and it's not going to work. And you well, why doesn't that work? Um, so you're still going to have to have some knowledge. You're just, it, it's going to create some, let's say shortcuts for, for people, which isn't a bad thing, right? Um, mm. uh, we were, people were concerned, uh, when, uh, electric dishwashers and vacuum cleaners came in that housewives weren't going to have anything to do all day long. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's always these concerns about what was going to happen, uh, when some new piece of technology comes along. And this is actually where uh, conversations like this are super helpful for those of us that are, are fans of science fiction. You know, we can go back and watch a show that's 50 years old and go, oh, wow, they were worried about this back then mm -hmm. too. Or watch a show that was 30 years old. Oh, they were still worried about this. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. this the, the, electric, the electronic medical hologram, you know, the doctor, um, you know, he was, is he going to replace the doctors? Well, there's only certain things he can do. Right. Um, yeah. So um, that's in fact, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is not just what the limitations of, of uh, generative AI is, but uh, my, my son's a musician and he wants to look up a song, right? So he's looking up a song. How do I play blah? And I was like, well, that's cool. It spit out the, you know, spit out the chord chart or it spit mm -hmm. out the, you know, the tabs or whatever. He's like, yeah, but it still can't play it. Fair point, right? And so I think about the, you know, the, the, the doctor. Like he could tell you what was wrong, but he couldn't fix you, at least not right away. But see, but see, that's an interesting point because you know it can print out the the chord chart for you, but it can't play mm -hmm. it. But there right. are programs that can. They can. But can it play it? It, it's it's almost like reading a dictionary as opposed to reading a novel. Can it play it with any kind of emotive feel to it? Right. No. Will it play it with any sort of variation? Will it play it exactly the same way every single time? And that's the difference between that uh, sort of machine setting and the, the, the human mind, the human input. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a randomness there because, because um, data data next generation mm -hmm. and his quest to be human. He was always, you know, cause next generation, it was all about classical music and Shakespeare and <laughs> data. Data was always playing music, and they always said that I mean, there was many times that he played music. He would always say that he was mimicking a half a dozen different musicians. And so, mm -hmm. to uh, Alan's point, his music was was awesome. He could mimic Mozart and Beethoven, but he was mimicking Mozart and Beethoven, and he didn't have what he felt was the creativity. Like you know, like the ultimate expression that is probably jazz. You know, the best jazz is never the same whenever you play it twice. But with data, it was exactly the same. So that was well, the question of did he have creativity? But that's why that's why it was always Riker playing the jazz and not yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I guess I guess you can have a randomized button or something weird. I mean, I guess at some point in time they'll build mm -hmm. something in um, to try to make uh, AI seem more human like to, to sure. make the little mistakes we make and all that kind of thing. Well, even the even the electronic drum machines I had in the '90s had a had a mm. button called swing, right? And you could, yeah, you know, right, <laughs> really, and it's it true. Would, and, and it would give it would it would just play just a little bit off the note every once in a while, right? Uh, it was still doing wow. it in some sort of a pattern. Mm. And and similar to that, um, there used to be a, a, a feature like it would play a ride symbol, but it sounded mm -hmm. exactly the same every stroke. And then they started to randomize it a little bit where it would sound like it's on the the bell of the symbol or yeah. on the body of the symbol and and you know like a brush on it instead of a stick and and mm -hmm. it's it's interesting in how it mixes all that stuff in it's still machine generated but it has more of a natural feel to it the mm. more information you give it the more things it can do it, i mean it's just like exactly the more, more knowledge you put into a human being even the more it can do yeah that's right yeah, and that's the, the, yeah that's yeah and these things tend to grow exponentially. So I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't try to guess what the limitations of these things are going to be. 
over the next five years, 10 years, 20 years. But I know something that's been on my mind a lot lately as someone who's an enthusiast about technology and about science and science fiction, but also Mm -hmm. an artist and kind of an old fashioned in that sense. Veronica and I do puppet shows. We do a lot of practical things on stage. And I have a lot of friends in my circles who do, who are now facing now where people can $4 and you can get an AI that'll give you, you know, spit out a bunch of art of your face and different things instead of paying someone who does that, you know, instead of paying someone Mm. to draw you, it'll just draw you. But I mean, I think there's some ethical concerns there because these things are trained on existing artwork. And I mean, who that's a problem that I have with using it. And I've been dabbling with it, just trying to stay on top of what the tools are. But a big thing that bothers me is I don't know who I'm plagiarizing. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely. and, And that's I mean, that's true. Um, of any art. I mean, we're talking about this with, with music, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can, you can tell it, you know, write me a Nirvana song and it, right. and it pulls together all the, all the, the discography and it plays all that. And it yes. creates this new song that sounds like a Nirvana song that no one from Nirvana had any part in yes. other than the fact that they had written a bunch of other stuff. It's the same thing with, with visual art. Um, and it is problematic because there's no consent generally from, from the artists. Um, who who are now in the what what is referred to in in my field now is the training data set right so the training data set is the sum of human knowledge I mean that's that's in creativity that's that's a, a training data set's an interesting way of putting it hmm. but do you and that's, you, go ahead, Alan. I was gonna say that's interesting too because of that very very recent new Beatles song yeah mm-hmm. that that's happened and and there are people who have responded to it like a new Beatles song or, or a previously undiscovered Beatles song. Mm-hmm. And they don't know because they don't bother to look to see was that created by an actual Beatle. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it seems to me that one of the things with this type of AI, cause we, we, we haven't started talking about the killer robots yet. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems to me that one of the things when you talk about music and creativity and writing is what we're asking is, can you code creativity? Cause we still don't know what creativity is ourselves. I've always found it very interesting that many, many, many of the most creative people in human history had what we would now define as mental problems. You know, they had schizophrenia. They were paranoid. Um, um, everybody like uh, Monet, not Monet, uh, Van Gogh, Van Gogh, and all these different artists. They, you know, they had what we would call mental problems. But what we find out is when they were manic depressive and so forth, those manic sessions, those paranoid sessions, gave rise to some of the greatest creativity we've ever seen. And then, of course, they would, you know, they would have the other side. And so, like, what, what Charles is saying is you might be able to have a, a, a chat GBT type thing to do a puppet show. But can mm. it literally come up with something that nobody ever thought of before that's creativity? And what's the difference between true, true creativity and complete randomness? Mm-hmm. How do, you know, what's the difference there? You know, where, do we get our, where do we get our creative sparks? That's what I'm going to say. I mean, like, how much of what is being created now is actually new and how much of it mm. is people pulling from what they've read, what they've seen, yeah. what they've uh, observed other people doing and just pulled that all together into something not even necessarily new, but different. Yeah. Um, I mean, like Avatar is probably the most obvious big example mm. of the story that was pretty obvious. I mean, the technology they used for it was amazing, but I, I mean, there's so many uh, fantasy series, especially that um, pull a lot from the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. and I'm sure that there's something that Tolkien was pulling from to create the Lord of the Rings and all those stories. So oh, yeah. where, Beowulf. where, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I write and create a lot, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm pulling from things that I've experienced and seen in my life. I, I'm not pulling <laughs> from the cosmos. It's a sort of a culmination of all these things that I've put into my own brain over the last 42 years. And there's, they come there's out There's never new our, our con- own conversations in our puppet shows. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of that scene in iRobot, the film, when he was mm-hmm. interrogating the robot and he said, can a robot write a great symphony? Can a robot, you know, conduct an orchestra? And the robot said, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, I, and I think that's the point of humanity, because the thing is, like you said, I, th- I, I think of, I think of the human brain sometimes is almost like a food processor. You put all this stuff in and you mix it up and something comes out that nobody's else ever done before. And if I could use two really obvious examples, the two, probably the two greatest physicists who ever lived, Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein, both of them used other people's information. Both of them were looking at stuff that other people had looked at, such as mm-hmm. um, 
Galileo, Einstein had all this information then. There used to be this thing that people believed in called the ether, which they thought was this ga gas that light traveled through. Einstein sat in a Swiss patent office for years and literally just thought and thought and thought. Now, if you say you could replace Einstein with a computer, here's the thing most people don't know. Einstein was not the greatest mathematician in the world. You could find a lot of people who are better mathematicians, but he had a creative genius that almost no one has ever copied. Isaac Newton created calculus while he was hanging out at his family estate because there was an outbreak of the plague in London. Yeah. And again, yeah, nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Nothing else to nothing do. Else to do. Yeah. Right. And whether it was an apple or not, he looked at something falling, falling and said, hey, that thing that fell is exactly just like the moon being held in orbit by the Earth. I can't see that we could code a computer to have those creative leaps. Now, they could maybe do all the math. But can you code a, an AI to make those creative leaps like people like Newton and Einstein make? I, I don't know if I can see that. I'll, I mean, the, uh, one of the, the folks, uh, Dan, like he's commented that sort of the idea there's nothing new under the sun. Well, mm. there, there's that. And then the the corollary to that, which I prefer uh, and as a researcher, is that you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. Right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, so you're not. And so I, I think one of the questions and, and I, this this is where I I, I got to get my uh, I got to get the the folks that are really into Star Trek to help me with the episode Measure of Man uh, mm -hmm. from Next mm -hmm. Generation. But yeah. um, this is this what what we're really talking about is the difference in sort of creation through synthesis, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so you're synthesizing a bunch of stuff and right. and maybe coming up with something that's sort of slightly better, incrementally better, versus exactly. something that is kind of revolutionary. Exactly. Uh, and, and groundbreaking, right? So, so it's it's interesting. We spend an awful lot of time talking about what sort of Chat GPT or or these other mm -hmm. AI things can do, and not much about the people who created it, who've actually done something pretty amazing and revolutionary. Exactly. Right? Yes. We're very, we're caught up on the product and not necessarily the creativity the people that created the product had. Right. Because um, to your point, Einstein and Newton created something revolutionary. And then other people might synthesize something from that. And I wonder, could AI ever be revolutionary like Einstein or Newton can be? Because, you know, those creative leaps are just amazing. Um, yeah. Everybody been looking at the same thing they've been looking at for literally thousands of years. Right. And they came up with it. And I don't know if an AI could do that, at least not yet. Yeah, there's what you're saying, there's, there's a lot of books that sort of come to mind. Mm -hmm. You were talking earlier about people with the mental illness. There's a book that mm -hmm. came out in the 90s called Touch by Fire. Can't remember the yeah. author's name. Oh, yeah, that, I remember that. That, that, that you know, that, that, that covers this. Um, there's also a, a more recent book. Uh, the, the, the There's a much longer title, but the short title is Range. You can look mm -hmm. it up. It's basically about how most great revolutions and, and leap forwards and things don't come from people that are deep, deep experts in something. They come yeah. from people that are kind of cross-trained or somebody yeah. who's doing one thing and dabbling in something else, which is, you know, what's a patent clerk doing dabbling in physics? Um, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so, exactly. so yeah, so I, th I think it's that, that sort of idea that there's a little bit of knowledge that might, that might be dangerous, but it might also be very revolutionary. And, it, and it's, it's more about the way people think. I mean, there, mm -hmm. there is kind of a psychological study of creativity. And basically mm -hmm. what it boils down to is, is that it's, it's, it's how people think about problems. It's not what they know. And, and I think that's where your, your question and observation is a good one is you know, we, we sort of know what, um, what a large language AI model knows because it's everything that's on the internet. Now, right. will it find something and synthesize something that we might not have thought of as people? Yeah, that's entirely possible. You know, there are, um, um, another sort of branch of AI is the is, is looking is is visuals, right? So you're mm -hmm. sort of scanning. Um, we've got, I've got some faculty members here who this is this is kind of in their life's work is they'll they program um, models to look at um, like cancer uh, on on um, on you know MRIs and things, right? Mm -hmm. And what they found is that there are there are things that the machine learning out can can see that mm -hmm. even really, really well-trained doctors can't find, right? Mm -hmm. And there are actually things that it's detecting that experts don't necessarily detect, or maybe they don't detect it the first time they see it the fourth, fifth time. So there's clearly um, something that we don't know. There's this little bit of kind of um, weird uncanniness to some of the, the things we find mm -hmm. uh, or that we're seeing that AI finds. So for example, um, or we'll, maybe hopefully we'll talk a little bit about um, sort of ethics and uh, AI a little bit, but you know there there are things that AIs can detect about people that they shouldn't mm -hmm. know, 
which is mm-hmm. kind of weird. Anyway, I'll, 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 I'll stop there because there's great comments. What are people saying about the best Saturdays of our lives podcast? Yes, what are they saying? It's a refreshing blend of nostalgia and academia. I like the animation programming strategy. I tune in for the amazing celebrity interviews. An insider's glimpse behind the scenes of your most beloved childhood memories. What's your website? Uh, TheBestSaturdaysOfOurLives.com And the amazing ESO Network. Yeah, I was going to say, we've got a, a, a few good questions that we haven't right. been able to get to yet. Uh, Go for it. One from a, a little bit ago, about 15 minutes ago, unfortunately, is Matt Sweatman. And he Yay, is asking, is AI study and development happening more in the academic world or in the commercial settings? So is it academia or is it commerce that's pushing this? Great question. Um, yeah, so so this this uh, this is a question I can actually answer about this, um, and it's you know what's interesting is is it's actually at this intersection, um, and one one of the things we do here uh, and plug for Kennesaw State School of Data Science is uh, we um, we've been working for many years at with companies who are who partner with us, we PhD students, master students, and and also undergraduate students. Companies bringing real problems here to the university, whether that's it's all across college computing and software engineering. But most of the innovation is actually being driven by companies looking to solve a problem. Um, and it's being done very much in partnership with academic institutions. So um, uh, many scientific things that happen are, I would say, sort of pure science. So um, you know, my colleagues in chemistry or something might be uh, or in math, you know, they've come up with this cool idea and they're, they're, they're figuring something out. And then they, they have this solution that goes in search of a problem. Well, in data science, there's no data science without some sort of a, what we might refer to as a business problem. Um, so it's, it, it is, it's a really interesting partnership. Um, and, and at this point in time, in this point in history where there's a, there's a lot of, uh, they're trying to solve some sort of real problem, but they don't necessarily have the expertise to do it uh, in-house or they don't have the bandwidth to, to work on it. So they'll partner with universities to work on it. So it's, it's, it's a really exciting time because of that, because we, mm. we've, we're getting an intersection that we really hadn't seen before in such yeah. a dramatic way. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Michael Phillips, all the possible priorities seem to want to make AI replace the things that humans enjoy doing most, writing, art, music, etc. Is that because they are trying to achieve sentience? (laughs) (laughs) It's the first step in the takeover plan. That's why I do art. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I also think it's like probably, probably the easiest thing that you can put out there mm-hmm. is create uh, using AI to create art um, because of the internet and putting it out there. I mean, using AI to create almost anything else, it's hard to kind of get it out there, but everyone wants to see, Oh, look at this cool art thing. Oh, mm-hmm. look at this cool music thing. Yeah. Because right. That's like a, a common language for everyone. Exactly. So I think it's- that's why it's seen a lot. Right. It's not necessarily about the ability to get it out there. It's that it can be it relatable. Can be it, it can be relatable to anybody who sees it or hears it or reads it. It's right. something that, that kind of touches a broad yeah. spectrum of humanity. And I think Michael's question gets to kind of the heart of the matter, because if you have an AI program that's programmed to do art, say paint, you have an AI program that's programmed to do music, one that's programmed to do writing, I may be worried about them getting really good. I am not worried about them taking over the world because they are literally only programmed to do one thing. <laughs> so could a could a chat GPT ever attain sentience if that's all it does? You know, could the greatest painting program in the world ever obtain sentience if it's not programmed to look outside and wonder about the clouds or, you know, to get pissed off mm. because the neighbor's mowing at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> So it seems like to me there's two different types of AI like we started out with. You know, there's AI that are really tools, you know, just a tool. And then there's AI that truly we're trying to mimic the human brain. And that's a different type of AI. 
because we can do all those things, but most of these programs can do one thing only. And I'm not really worried about chat GPT taking over the world. I am worried about a human using chat GPT to manipulate the world. Yeah. Right. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that sort of goes back to the ultimate computer as well, because the flaw right. really in the ultimate computer wasn't with the computer. It was with the man behind it. You know, yeah. he, he passed on his own faults into yes. the, 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 what he created. And yeah. I guess we, I mean, do we have to be worried about humans passing on our own faults into, into these things as well? The short answer to that is yes. And, and we, <laughs> we, 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 we already see that. Um, mm. And in fact, uh, I hate to even bring up, uh, things because they're at this point they're dated, but they're mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the examples um, of this. There's a uh, I, I, I'm always careful not to not to name names and, and companies, especially in things like this. But there was a company that created a sentencing program. It was to to help uh, judges, etc., figure out what what the sentence should be for somebody that had committed you know X crime or Y crime. Wow. Um, and, yeah, and 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 they, they, these things exist. So. Um, and there, you know, we think about facial recognition softwares that help identify, mm-hmm. you know, pe- people that, uh, you know, that are on the run and they're trying to find right. them. Um, so what we find in many of these things is, is that they're the, the data on which they are built are faulty. Um, and this, this, this goes back to the ultimate computer. So if, if you build a, if you build a, if you build a, a sentencing algorithm, as to you know what if, if people did X crime, they should do Y time to get the Z result. But you only build that on people that have committed crimes and don't <laughs> include people that never committed crimes. Exactly. What's going to happen, right? Mm. Exactly. Um, so there, there, there's there's the bias is built into the data set. Um, why? Because we we have a social system and a world that already has those biases built in. So now we've just right. baked that into this problem solving mechanism. We've got the same thing with uh, with facial recognition algorithms, right? Yeah. So if you opt into a certain kind of facial recognition algorithm, that's one thing. But mostly what they do, and this actually relates to some of the questions about you know art and music and writing and stuff. Some of that is uh, we program um, machines to do that kind of stuff. Frankly, right. because the the data are easy to get. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 is the internet full of? But pictures and videos and music. I mean, you know, it, when 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 it was nothing but FTP and we were all on a fourteen four dial up modem. What were we doing? <laughs> we were downloading pictures. We were downloading music. You know. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 what the whole sort of infrastructure is built on. So if you're trying to, if 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 you're just a pure scientist and you want to build some sort of a, you're just playing around with trying to build an algorithm because there's actually a question. You're trying to build an algorithm to solve a particular problem. What are you going to build it on? Well, what can I find? Oh, there's a whole bunch of pictures on the internet. Let me just download all those pictures. And all of a sudden I'm going to build an algorithm to detect something in people's faces. Why? Mm. Because it's convenient that yeah. I can find all these photographs, right? So I, I don't I don't think initially there was any kind of malice in this. I do think it mm-hmm. was just sort of sure. scientists just doing science stuff. Um, but they happened to build it on photographs, mm. they built it on audio, they built it on these things. Well, now we're figuring out how to how to take those things and make them useful. And, you know, back to the question, business is going to try to make money on something, right? And, right. and what, what, can, what can we monetize? What can we operationalize to, 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 to make some money? Because business is really the business of making money. And your, that question and your answer brought up a couple of things, which is one, ethics, and two, um, AI versus sentience, which we keep talking about. Because to your point, one of the, as I'm sure everybody knows, the biggest problem with the facial recognition programs that first came out, whether they were used by policemen or, the, or those on Apple phones, was that all the facial recognition programs were primarily created by white men. Yes. And what they found out real fast at airports and stuff is that those facial recognition programs weren't good at looking at black faces, especially mm-hmm. dark skinned black people. And if this was sentient AI, then the program would be like, hey, dude. I seem to be only picking up black people, but there's no sentience there. And, and like what you guys are saying, you can have a super, super, super sophisticated AI facial recognition program that will never realize that it's it's racist or prejudiced because right. it was programmed by guys who never thought about black people and women in their facial recognition. Right. And That's- so... Part of yep. me would say, I, I want an AI program that could think for itself and say, hey, man, I don't like. But then I don't know if I want an AI program that can start thinking for itself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's such an interesting point, Keith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they don't, basically, again, they're, they're only programmed to do one thing. They might do right. it really well. But but I mean, like many of us, we, we don't know what we don't know. Um, and and but But we're 
part of our sentience is mm-hmm. is being aware of it. I mean, what what's Confucius, right? You know, yeah. Um, you know, I, I anyway. This is this 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 is the 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 cogito ergo sum. I mean, this is true in yep. Eastern mm-hmm. philosophy and Western philosophy. Um, one of the the key things about sort of our humanness is is that we we know we know what we know because we know we know ourselves, right? We, right. We, we, and we're aware of what we're not aware of, and we're maybe we're not okay with that, but we're at least aware of it. And you are um, aware that you tied into a Star Trek episode, right? When you yes, said I. that, <laughs> that's Moriarty. <laughs> I, that's what I really want you guys to talk about those things. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> well, be, before we get too far afield, um, mm-hmm. I want to display the question that was just referenced, just to make sure that we get it covered. Um, okay. Is there a distinction between algorithm and AI? When, for example, Amazon recommends to you something based on previous views, is that algorithm or AI? Hmm. And um, and a definition of the two, basically. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so Ooh. the short the short answer is, um, uh, if we think about what an AI an AI is, just think of it as a whole bunch of algorithms, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, an, an algorithm, it, 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 it's most basic, is really just uh, a math equation. I mean, mm. that's that's it right so it is it is it is it is uh, a simple equation that's designed to solve a certain thing and so what we have when we have um, when we think about like a, a neural network for example a neural network is a whole bunch of equations all linked to one another and when this thing when when this part of the equation balances this way then this other thing happens we go to this other equation it's way over my head but i have some phd students that we, we actually in our uh, we have a, a walls are just painted with the whiteboard paint and sometimes mm-hmm. I've seen them fill up whole walls with just equations of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, I'm, I'm just, a, I was just trained as a humble social scientist. I, I was not trained <laughs> to do math at that level. Um, I do feel like Council of Troy a lot. Um, <laughs> um, tra- trapped in engineering, I think, you know. Um, but um, but, the, but th- that it, it is most fundamental, really, uh, if we think about an, an algorithm is kind of, for, for our purposes in data science or AI, um, it's sort of the basic unit of analysis, right? So, and on which everything else is built. Um, another question from Matt Sweatman, basically asking, are there efforts and is there a danger in how data is weighed? We all know that there is a lot of bad and prejudicial information online. Can AI judge the difference between mm-hmm. fact and opinion? Um, <laughs> this is, wow. That's you, you, should, you, you, should, you should you should come to my class and we talk about data ethics. Um, you know ah. this the the short answer is is no it's 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 it there's no ability to judge good from bad unless we tell it um, yeah. back back to the point about what what is um you know what what's a white face versus a black face or an Asian mm-hmm. face or a woman's face versus a man's face unless you train it unless you tell it this is this, right? Um, it was the question about, um, Amazon. So one of the ways that, um, that, that these things, that algorithms and, and, and programs learn these things is this concept. It's, it's called, it's human in the loop. Um, and so if, um, and we've had some, some students and faculty work on this here. So, um, let's, let's say, um, you know, Amazon comes along and says, look, we want to design a program that helps people pick out better clothes. Right. Um, and so, uh, it'll provide you some some options. Well, it doesn't know the difference between the red dress and the pink dress and the yellow dress uh, unless you tell it that they're all the same here except for this one feature. And you tell it, and it, it's some people call that feature engineering. But you're but then you'll um, but you have to have a person tell it that. So uh, you you all you've probably done these. Uh, those captcha things you have to do sometimes, yeah, mm-hmm. where you have to tell it what's a bike and whatever. Well, you're actually oh, contri- Lord, yes. you're actually, but you're actually contributing to human in the loop learning things mm-hmm. because it's it's providing these pictures and it's basically saying um, it, it pretty much doesn't know the difference, but it's been told by somebody else that this part of the screen is a bike and this part of the screen is a tree and this part of the screen is a this, and you're just verifying that. So you're actually help in some cases helping to build these sort of algorithms. So that's the human in the loop piece. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So yeah. uh, and, and this and this kind of thing uh, uh, sort of ha- happens um, all the time. Um, and but it's really important because machines don't know the difference. A person has to tell them. But if you tell it enough, it'll know. It'll it'll learn, right? And that's that's the supervised versus unsupervised learning, which is uh, again part of above my head and above the s- scope of this podcast. But so, I think it's important. 
Yeah. So question I have then, because what we're talking about so far, we've talked about algorithms and AI that are that are um, basically soulless and they just do one job or one function. When you get to the science fiction world of Star Trek and Star Wars and what people are worried about in those kind of movies is not an AI that that it, we, we're talking true sentience. And now we're talking about true AI that thinks like a human, like like M5. That's what uh, Daystrom did. He patterned, he put his engrams on it and it thinks data is deemed to be alive because he is cogito ergo sum. He thinks mm -hmm. the doctor mm -hmm. in Voyager ran for mm -hmm. so long that he, he, he stopped becoming a medical hologram. He became a sentient being. So question here, is there a lot of research in the world going on on creating truly sentient AI? And are you concerned about that? Are you concerned about the datas of the lores mm. from Star Trek <laughs> or the Colossus and the Forum right. and the M5s? I, I just want my C-3PO. That's all I want. <laughs> I want my R2 and my 3PO to go everywhere. Um, so let me say, I, you know, part of that is, is, is I, I don't know what happens in the depths of MIT and mm -hmm. uh, other places, but, you know, my, my understanding from my colleagues who are the, the most, the most deep into this is that is so, that is truly science fiction, right? That is so far down the road that trying to okay. trying to get something that can combine all these things together right. into a system. I mean, frankly, you know, one of the closest things we've got to that now are, are you know, are like cars, right? So if you think about mm -hmm. how, how does a Tesla operate? Well, a lot of it works off visual, visual based algorithms, right? So right. it, it, um, both internal and external. So if it, it I've, I've never been in one, but I know people that have them, um, you know, there's cameras everywhere. Well, why are there cameras everywhere inside and outside of a car? That seems really weird. Well, because part of how it operates is on this basis of, of being able to see stuff. Back to the how, how do you train AI to know things? You train it yeah. based on what's available. Well, you, 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 and, I mean, and unfortunately, this happened. And fortunately, we don't see it as much. But, you know, there were instances where, you know, children were being hit or people were being hit um, by these cars. They were running into the backs of things. Um, and it partly was because, well, it just hadn't figured out yet that that was something that you should stop for or something you should avoid. <laughs> mm. Um, it, it just, it just didn't know. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, it, is from my understanding, some of the most advanced stuff we have out there. Um, but you know, it's some stuff works on, on audio back to the natural language processing. If you, mm -hmm. if you shout, uh, you know, if, if, if you shout a name, which I'm sure if I shouted it right now, people's, um, devices would start going off and asking you what you wanted. Right. Um, but you know, it, 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 it hears you and, and there's, there's concern about that. Like is, mm. you know, is, is, is Siri listening all the time or is Alexa listening all the time? Um, the answer you know, is so yes. The, the answer in, in, in brief is yes. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I don't, to my knowledge, again, I, I don't, I don't know yeah. what happens in the, in, in, in the, in the deep dark labs, the, the Island on the Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but I, but I do think that, uh, that is pretty far down the road, um, for, for what we're talking about here. This, mm. this to, for something to be sentient, it would have to have all of the faculties that we would sort of have as a person. And those right. are all so little bits and pieces together and all these different yeah. things. I, to my knowledge, they're not well integrated anywhere. Mm. So well, yeah. going back to elementary to your data, because um, mm -hmm. you'd mentioned that. Yes. I mean, sort of what happens in that episode, you know, they go to the holodeck and it's playing a Sherlock Holmes adventure. They, they already know the ending. So they go back and say, write an original Sherlock Holmes adventure yes. in the style of Holmes. Right. And then they, what they get is a mishmash of different Sherlock Holmes adventures before they take the additional step and the computer goes crazy and everything goes nuts. <laughs> but but that second step seems to be about where we are now, where if you go yes. to chat GPT and I've tried this and say, write a new song in the style of John Lennon, the word imagine will be in the song. Yeah. You know, it's, it happens just about every <laughs> time, you know, like mm. it's, it's, it's made up of things that he's written before. Right. Um, I mean, is that fair to say that's about where we are with the way these things that are at least available to us operate? Uh, to, to my knowledge, yes. Uh, I mean, one of the earlier questions was about waiting. So yeah. one of the things you can do in a model is you can wait things. One mm -hmm. of the things that made Google's uh, search algorithm really revolutionary was, is it was based on the number of people 
that that sort of linked to things, right? The number of people that that basically rated it highly. And so one of the reasons that the John Lennon uh, song is always going to have Imagine in it is because that's probably the song that John Lennon's that most people have heard. It's the one that's yeah, played right. the most. It's the one that shows up online the most. So the weight of that in the model for songs by John Lennon, it, it's always going to be higher. Um, mm-hmm. So sure. Um, yeah, so that, that's I mean that's kind of where we're sort of where we're at with that. So yeah, the 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 if you create a new Sherlock Holmes mystery, there's going to be a hound in it, you know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Somebody's going to be wearing a deer stalker. I mean, <laughs> so you said something very interesting when it comes to Star Trek because what you were saying is you personally don't think that we're close to sentient AI, right, in the in our world. But Charles made a good point because in the Ultimate Computer. The reason M5 was sentient is because Dr. Daystrom literally copied his human brain onto the computer. Right. And so it was basically, and I, and I think Dr. Sung did the same with data. Right. Mm. So it also seems like in most of that science fiction, these robots and androids, their brains are modeled, <clears throat> excuse me, exactly after hours. They're not right. some new kind of strange AI that we've ever, we've never seen before. So I wonder, can we even create an AI that doesn't function like we function, considering we still don't know how we're sentient? Right. Veronica is shaking her head. I think that's the right answer. Uh, You know, um, uh, yeah, it's we 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 can only do what we what we know, right? We we're Mm -hmm. this and this is where, um, you know, I I I do hope my my colleagues who are interested Mm -hmm. in in technology also Mm -hmm. study philosophy and they also study the arts and they also study you know the humanities because. Um, so much of what happens, I mean, the Daystrom example is a really good one. You know, Daystrom didn't realize that he was basically traumatized, right? He was, yes. he'd, been, he'd been bullied and all this other stuff for all these yes. years. And and he was putting all that anger and rage onto this. Well, it, it was reflected in it. But, you know, back, back to what I was saying sort of towards mm-hmm. the beginning, um, that's the history of, of science fiction and fantasy. And when we talk about this, I mean, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's monster. Um, I mean, that's that really the ultimate computer was just the Star Trek mm. version of, yep. of Frankenstein, right? So mm-hmm. um, that that is a that's a that's a, a trope that shows up over and over again for good reason because it's something that connects with us deeply as human beings. It's something that um, yeah. it, it, it highlights our fears, and I, I don't want to get you know too Freudian, but I mean, or or Jungian for that matter. But um, <laughs> you know, there 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 are these things that um, that keep showing up over and over again in human culture. Um, that, that aren't going to go away. There's different retellings of them for different eras, but that's one of those things that's very real. And I think that's part of what this, um, you know, this fear about AI really taps into, right? It's this sort of mm. very human fear of being replaced mm-hmm. and not being necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, that's, that's, that's a very real human thing. Nobody. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Now you had mentioned before we got started that you had gone on chat, B- chat GPT oh. <laughs> uh, and posed a few questions yes. for us. Well, um, so th- so this this was and, and boy, I mean, be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> so so I so and I, I really um, I, I I recommend this for for you all. I, uh, so I was like, you know, I'm going to be on a podcast about. <laughs> Star Trek <laughs> and and AI and how it relates to uh, to the modern world and okay. um, you know basically what should I talk about? Well, mm. so the interesting part was so I have my my friend I was talking about earlier. I called him and I was like, "Help, you know, fill me in." So he's giving me some, you know, he's like, "Well, you know, there's this there's this episode and this episode," and so we start talking about themes and you know, we're on the phone for like two hours. So wow. so I typed this into Chat GPT and it spits out a a summarized version of the conversation I'd have with my friend who, <laughs> who, who is, who is huh. deep and steeped in, in this and knows it, you know, uh, in the same way that, you know, you, you folks would. Uh, but, but it is, it is really, it's, it's pretty interesting. So, so for example, uh, one of the questions um, I said, I ask is like you know, examples of ethical dilemmas involving artificial intelligence in Star Trek. Okay. And so then it gives me a list of five things. It's like the rights of AI in Star Trek, the next generation, the character commander data and advanced Android with human like qualities raises questions yeah. about the rights of personhood and AI beings. Right. And it mm-hmm. goes on. Uh, and then it talks about the control of AI mm-hmm. and then it talks about the ultimate computer episode, which we've talked about. Uh, number three, ethical boundaries of holographic AI in Star Trek Voyager, the emergency medical hologram, EMH. And it talks about him. Um, be free. Right. And then mm-hmm. uh, it talks about the use of AI in warfare. 
Um, and then it talks about ethical programming and bias, which is some of the stuff we've talked about here too. Right. Uh, bias in AI systems. And it talks about holodeck characters, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the stuff we've talked about, you know, it, it, it's spit some of that stuff out as, as, as sort of talking points, uh, which, which, was, which was pretty interesting to me. Uh, mm. one, one thing that ne- in all the times I ask it, there's, there's no conspiracy theory. The Borg never came up until I asked. It about <laughs> the and then I, and then I asked it about the, and it only gives me very short answers about the Borg, which was a little worrying. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> but don't you worry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a quick a quick thought I had is right now, it's like you said, it's we we don't think we can even come close to creating artificial sentience unless we can do something like Dr. Dacian right and basically copy the human brain. Well, if we copy the human brain, that means we copy the capacity for good and evil. So right. if we did succeed in true sentience, we could have lore who's evil in Star Trek and data who's good. So I have mm-hmm. a question for you. When we start working on real sentience, what we think is real sentience, would we want to, and would it be ethical to program in what we think are sentient beings with something like the three laws of robotics, mm-hmm. creating <laughs> sentient beings that we've already limited Control. in their capacity to free will? Would that be right if we did something like that? Because I have the ability to go out and, oh, I don't want to say that. I have the ability to go out and do something bad, <laughs> right. and you don't prevent me from doing it. Would we want to create AI, and then we almost lobotomize them and right. like program to, you can never do anything bad, whether you want to or not? I'd like to do that to some humans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, that out who, there. whoever it is that, that ultimately develops sentient AI, I hope it's someone like Keith, because <laughs> Keith's brain works in a, in a process that I don't think I've ever seen in another human being. And you think of things in all mm-hmm. aspects. <laughs> Thank you. Hats off, my friend. You, you're going to love that book range. It is it's Okay. It talks about that. Thing. Yeah. Spot on for you. So, what, how would you feel about that creating? Because there's an episode of, um, there's a two part episode of Voyager called, um, it's the one where they meet Captain Ransom, the other Starfleet captain who was Equinox. also in the Delta. Equinox. Equinox. Yes, yes. And there's there's an evil hologram of the doctor on, on the other ship. Mm-hmm. And the good doctor, our doctor, says, You can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And he says, They deleted my ethical subroutine. And so they could literally go into the hologram, even though they were sentenced, and they could turn good on and off. Yep. And so would you want or should we create a race of sentient beings where we can literally go in and mess with their morality? Is that right? Well, um, this is why I want people to study philosophy, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, a, Because you really have to understand it in a deep way. I have a, a, a student, a former PhD student, now graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, his whole dissertation was about, uh, was about ethical analytics. And, and of course mm-hmm. he, he also has a, his undergrad degree was, was he was double major in physics and philosophy. He, and I mean, he was, it, so his, awesome. his, his stuff was deep, right? It's su- awesome. super deep. Mm-hmm. So, so we, so we had these, we, we would have these conversations and again, he was a thousand miles an hour, way, sort of way smarter than mm-hmm. I'll ever be, but, but I'll, I'll reflect on some of the things that I, I learned from him is, you know, no matter what we try to do, we always have our blind spots, right? So, yeah. so we're, we're always coming at it from, from our own perspective and philosophically, you know, that standpoint of epistemology, right? So mm-hmm. um, e- even if we, even if we try our best to avoid something, it's probably going to happen. Um, yeah. Especially if we try to do things on our own, right? So, so this right. whole notion of sort of encoding your engram on, you know, a sort of on a, on a, on a positronic brain, you know, it's, wow. I mean, that's super science fiction. Like we, we won't even understand mm-hmm. enough about the human brain to be able to replicate it. And, and back to the very, very early days of, of, of what we now think of as computer science, it was basically psychologists and mathematicians sitting down going, how do we figure out how people think about things? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, that's why the, the, the neural network is a thing, right? So that's, that's a very common thing in, um, in computing, but it's, it's basically, it was a mathematical version of like how to, how do brains work? Um, so we're, we're, we're so, f- I think we're so far from that. Um, mm-hmm. but to the points, some of the points we were talking about earlier, we've already seen some of those problems with, with bias, um, in, in AI, whether right. it's training data or whether it's the right. intention for which something is created. So we're, we're already seeing this. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at some level. And, you know, again, I, I'd like to think that these things 
have not been done for malicious purposes. And I, I don't, I genuinely don't think most people started out that way, mm-hmm. but if they were working as a group of people and so back to, you know, why, why, why is, why is Star Trek so great for this? You know, one of the things that makes the Federation so awesome is the Federation is interested in multiple perspectives and they're right. always trying to take, we're always trying to solve a problem, not just from one person's rule, right? It, it's, 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 it's democratic, you know, small D democratic in, in that way. Um, and I think that's really important for how we're thinking about when we're developing AI. Um, in fact, I mean, back to episode, you know, the, the offspring when, um, mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, malls uh, created, right. Um, one of my there's favorites. That, yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's the, the whole battle about like, is, is law really a, not only is she a person, like, is she property? Um, you know, what is, yeah. what happens and also what, what happens to her in the end is basically, you know, she, she has a, she has, as far as I can tell, you know, she has a panic attack and then it basically kills her, right? She, yeah. she doesn't know how to feel and she feels things. And, yeah. And, and that's sort of the end for her. But, but the, the debate that they're having back and forth over, you know, is she property? I mean, which, which of course goes back to some of the, the questions about data to begin with. Uh, well, now he's something that's created something else. Well, God, you know, where, where does that go? Right. Um, but anyway, I, there's, there's that, that episode yeah. really speaks to so many of the things we're talking about here. I would really say, go back and watch that in light yeah. of what we've talked about in this conversation and, and, uh, and re- really dig deep on that. There was an episode yeah. of Enterprise. We're talking about human engineering. There's an episode, there was a series of episodes in the series Enterprise that dealt with the Augments, who were the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the descendants of the Khan, Nudi, and Singh. Right, and right, right. I forget which song it was, but it was basically Brent Spiner playing, you know, a song in the 21st or the 20th, uh, 22nd century. And what happened was when those augments were discovered by this song, they were violent. And there's a scene where the guy who ends up becoming the leader of augments goes into Dr. Soong's office one day and he said, what are you doing? And Dr. Soong says, I am genetically engineering your augment DNA to get to cut out your aggressiveness. And the leader said, you cannot do that to us. That is wrong. Yeah. That was that was engineering a human. So that's the same thing I think about with engineering AI, because the song was like, oh, you'll still be brilliant and fast and strong. I'll just cut out your aggressive tendencies. Yeah. And the guy's like, no, that's wrong. And that's the same thing I think about with computers. You know, when they delete the doctor subroutine or people say, you know, they wanted to create a race of slaves. That was the measure of a man with data. It's like mm-hmm. you can say that, but right. if you make them slaves. The, they sh- if they're truly sentient, they should have the same rights you and I have. And unfortunately, humans have a capacity for evil. So if we create AI sentience, I guess we should let them have the capacity for evil. And that's a huge discussion and a problem. There. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and we're we're over an hour at this point. Oh, yeah. so I'd wow. I'd love to come back around to this topic at some point and and have you doctor back, Doctor Hayes, because this is a fascinating topic, and there's a lot yes. of questions yeah. we didn't get to, and a lot of things that I had on my mind that I didn't get to. <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate you taking the time with us today because this has been a really fascinating discussion. And this was a whole lot of fun. I would love to come back and maybe we'll talk about something completely different next time. Well, <laughs> right. we need to do a deep dive on Deanna Troy. <laughs> yes. okay a, a character exploration of deanna troy you know yeah maybe we could do a part two and literally it would just yes. be questions that are nothing about but star trek you know we can literally say what do you think about this what do you think about this because now you, you you set the background for us and now right. we can talk yeah. about lore and nomad and data mm-hmm. and yeah. law and alondru uh, well, and control. Oh, uh, well, we didn't even talk about control. I mean, that's that's that, that's a whole nother episode. But, you know, yeah. one, one of the things that, that came up and, and I'll, you know, is, is, as long as um, is is the is another thing you might want to talk about in the future is the VR uh, AR thing. If you mm-hmm. haven't talked about that in any depth, because uh, we've got some because that's um, that's something that is is actually getting close to what we are really seeing on the holodecks right that's we're, true we're, mm-hmm. we're getting close right um, and some of that is driven by by ai but um you know i, I think when we if we're thinking about ar worlds and vr worlds um and and where we, where we are technology in relation to what we you know saw on the screen and, and wanted to experience um that's something that is definitely worth exploring mm. Absolutely. That's not my area. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. well, is, is there somewhere that people can find more of you or your posting or your work or anything like that? Uh, well, so I'm, you know, they, they can find me at Kennesaw, no, my Kennesaw State University. We have a, a school of data science uh, tw- uh, Twitter account. It's uh, KSU Data Science. I have a Twitter. It's uh, it's uh, at Cheryl W. Hayes. Um, and uh, it's spelled correctly. So it's easy to find me. 
oftentimes I have to spell my name, but uh, thank you for, for, for getting that part right. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, if, if you want to see more about some of the professional stuff, I post a lot on LinkedIn as well. Um, that's uh, where we talk about some of these data ethics issues and things like that. So love to love to connect with people. And thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. This was an absolute blast. I have enjoyed this so much. Mm. Same here. Thank you. Alan, where can people find more of you? Well, how about you, you set your, your AI to <laughs> www.cosmicpress, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. And you can check out the books that I've written and books I've published by other authors and the other podcasts that I am involved with. And how about you, Keith? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And Veronica, if people want to follow along with our quest to become more human, where can they find us? Feltlery.com <laughs> <laughs> that goes to our Facebook page. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. And do you have a closing for us this week? I think therefore I am. Hey! All right, that's good. Right. Oh, I like it. Good one. I love it. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.